HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza. Roberta's, I'm giving it a new name here. Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You've tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are talking about coffee. We are joined uh, in the studio by Caleb Sisko, who's the CEO and founder of the Farming Rust Foundation. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Erin. It's a pleasure to be here. So we are gonna we're gonna start off the show by actually playing um, a quick news piece that we produced a couple weeks ago. That was kind of the inspiration for this interview. Um, we're gonna play it just like you would hear it from our website. Um, for those of you who don't know, we do a lot of shorter kind of news pieces that you can find by just visiting the website uh, www.heritageradionetwork.org. And there, it's kind of a collection of. Um, current events in agriculture, you know, restaurants, food history, policy. It's a real mix. And, and the piece we're going to listen to is something we did with the folks from Drift Away Coffee. So, Liz, why don't you cue that up and we will sh- jump off uh, with that clip. This piece was brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, Kane5.com, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Business. Over the spring and summer, we've been hearing a lot about the impending doom of Arroya, or coffee rust. Roya is a fungus that stunts the growth of the fruit of the Arabica coffee and is wrecking havoc across Central and South America. We are joined in the studio today by Suyog and Anu of Drift Away Coffee. Drift Away Coffee is a single-origin coffee roasting and delivery service. So guys, how do you expect Roya will impact your typical coffee customer? So when we think about Roya, we should think about how long it's been around. So it's actually been around since 1850. It was the reason why in Sri Lanka, all the coffee crop is completely devastated and replaced with tea. 
And in Central America itself, it's been around since 1970. So it's been around for a long time. What's recently happened is that essentially for Roya to grow, it needs temperatures between 20 to 25 degrees Celsius and about in like a wet, moist climate. And that used to be prevalent more in lower growing areas. And so Roya wasn't that widespread. But lately, there's been a lot of climatic change, especially in like Guatemala, in the high, in the high mountain areas where coffee is grown. And that has resulted in Roya being just really widespread. And Roya spreads very easily. The biggest problem with Roya is there is no cure for it. And so what that has meant for farmers is that they've had to use a lot of fungicides. They're trying to use more disease-resistant varieties of coffee. And in many cases, they have to actually cut the entire tree down, like stump it, in order to protect their plant. And that takes about three years to grow back. And so what that essentially means is a huge shortage of coffee from Central American countries. For instance, in Guatemala last year, they declared a state of emergency because about 70% of their crop was, it was less than usual. And I think for the, for the consumer side of it, uh, the customer here you know, in the United States or any coffee drinking country, there isn't a, a direct impact as such, what happens is there's there's fewer coffees coming from El Salvador, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, from Honduras, uh, Colombia for, for many years. So it drives the prices up. It uh, increases the reliance on the roaster to source the same types of tastes of beans that they expect in their espresso blends, in their single origin sort of drip coffee. And then and then what that means is that you know consumers are getting sort of the same but not exactly the same coffees. What's more important is what we can do to um, to get over Roya because it, it's like Anu was saying before, it has happened before. People have sort of dealt with it in a way over the course of three to four to five years and then, you know, it sort of goes away or goes away enough that, you're, you know, things are sort of back to normal. So some of the things that are happening, our roasters are starting to contribute to or they can contribute through their importers and, and uh, other means back to the farmers so that they are getting money and the resources that they need to be able to apply the right set of fungicides and, and the right set of um, uh, investment in place to be able to deal with Roya. And then secondarily, um, we can also fund a lot more coffee research. The coffee is a complicated plant, probably more than grapes and, and the wine industry, but um, there's very little known about the genetics of it. Uh, there's very little known about how things like Roya truly affect and how we can solve for it in a, in a longer, like, 15 to 20 year horizon. So that's something that we can also start to fund and then ultimately the whole industry will get further ahead scientifically. Um, we'll just know more about coffee and, and hopefully we'll be able to deal with it before it happens. Wow, so definitely an issue to watch and to, to look to, uh, it sounds like roasters for continued kind of like leadership on both educating about this, but also driving resources to the industry. If folks want to learn more about your work or maybe sign up for a coffee subscription, what's the best way for them to do that? We're at driftaway.coffee. Um, it's a new URL. We're kind of excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. For Heritage Radio Network, this is Aaron Fairbanks. All right. So kind of a jumping off point for, I think, the conversations we're going to have today. Before we move forward, Caleb, anything you heard in, in that brief interview that, that they got wrong or that we got wrong that we should clarify before moving forward? 
Uh, I don't think anything was wrong. There's a lot of statistical information in there that is very accurate. Um, and I'll hit on some of those points in a little bit, I guess. Cool. Uh, but it's definitely on point. Cool. Good. So, you know, what what we're going to be moving forward and talking about today, you know, I think uh, I was prompted to start exploring this because I was seeing, you know, these headlines in the in the spring and early summer um, about, you know, the potential doom of the coffee industry and um, as a coffee drinker and also someone who really cares about um, agriculture and is, is very curious in the way, particular with these crops that are growing in different parts of the world and have such a long, rich history. Um, you know, I was excited to tuck in a little bit more. And, and obviously, so were, so were you. So um, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the discussion around Roya, what makes a guy from Pittsburgh start of you know the Farming Rust Foundation, what was kind of the impetus for this idea? Well, it started back in September 2012 when articles first started coming out about rust and it being a detriment. Um, and I noticed that majority of articles that were coming out were all scientific and economic. How is it going to affect the consumer market? Um, how is it affecting production costs? Um, but there was nothing about how it was affecting the farmer. Um, and so I kind of had this idea to kind of dive into that topic and find out why and how farmers are affected um, from the farmer themselves as a primary source. So, that, I mean, that's really the idea behind the foundation is to create a platform for the voices of coffee farmers. Is that right? Correct. So I'm, you know, Aaron Fairbanks, Google user, mm-hmm. um, you know, waving a magic wand and, you know, it's a couple years down the road and you guys are wildly successful. I'm, I'm hitting your site. What am I seeing there? What information am I finding? What are you really hoping to kind of do with this platform? What will people hear, see? Give us a sense of what it's going to look like. So our goal is to uh, create that platform. And what you'll find several years down the road are, um, you'll find transcripts of the interviews. Uh, You'll find pictures. You'll find video clips um, of interviews with these coffee farmers, um, diving into a whole bunch of different topics, but primarily coffee rusts. Um, and we'll use that information to, uh, as a cultural sense as well, an anthropological cultural sense where researchers can use the information gathered to assess further into um, the coffee culture uh, because there's a giant part of the coffee culture that is not touched upon. Um, and we don't know, per se, no studies have been done thus far that about the culture of coffee farmers um, in the giant wheel that is coffee. Um, so you'll find, you'll be able to mine data through our website um, that will, in essence, uh, be able to gather, what's the word? Um, you'll be able to find information about the coffee that you want to find information about. From the, from the farmers from themselves. From the farmers themselves. Whereas I think traditionally now we're looking to our local barista or our local coffee roaster. And, and if we're lucky, maybe that, that roaster is part of you know an operation that can take us a little further back in the chain. But your goal is really to put the voices of the farmers front and center. Front and center, yeah. Now, the site is... Uh, you guys are just kind of getting going now. So if people visit the site today, kind of what what are they going to find? 
Uh, they're going to find our mission. Uh, they'll find an explanation of what we're trying to do. Um, they'll find uh, a few resources for people to who we're partnered with um, and what we're intending to do. Um, currently, obviously, we're not up and running, uh, but this is kind of a long term. It's going to take a long time to get there. Cool. Now, you guys are choosing Honduras as the, the first kind of point to, to dive in and, and do some of this recording, collecting some of these voices. Um, why Honduras and, and, and who are the people who are kind of like uh, making that happen for you? So in Honduras, it was it's kind of a, a double, uh, two reasons. One, uh, it was majorly hit last year. Uh, by coffee rust, um, 30 to 40 percent of their production was lost. Um, but also, a lot of immigration has been coming from Honduras <clears throat> and El Salvador and Guatemala to the U.S. And a large reason of that is because of coffee rust. Um, when production gets lowered, farmers can't survive, and they send their children to the U.S. Um, there has been a few stories <clears throat> about that, but nothing validated yet. Um, we'll be working with uh, Union Microfinanza, who is, which is a originally a Michigan-based organization, um, but they now live uh, a large team lives in Michigan, uh, lives in Honduras. Uh, they've been there for about five years, um, and they have agreed to host us. Um, they work with about 200 farmers, um, and they train farmers. They offer micro loans, uh, so small loans of up to like $150, which helps um, with getting supplies, uh, new plants, um, a little extra labor during harvest time, um, and then they pay that back over time, just like a regular loan. Um, and so we were working with uh, Andrew Boyd, who's the global U.S. director um, in Michigan, and Patrick Hughes, who's the, the president and director who's in Honduras. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll go down. Um, they've agreed to, several of the farmers have agreed to take interviews, um, and we'll basically kind of go from there. Excellent. So um, why is it, do you think, um, that a project like this hasn't happened before, or maybe hasn't happened before quite in this way? I mean, I can't imagine that someone has interviewed coffee farmers oh absolutely, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so like so um kind of this type of collection that you're looking to put together um why do you think that these voices have been missing from the conversation well because a large part of it is because the u.s is a consumer nation um we care about consuming the product not necessarily where it comes from um, and that's, you know, a lot of coffee companies do do a lot of research. They do a lot of interviews, but their mission is to sell the coffee. Um, nothing wrong with that. That's how you make money. Um, but there hasn't been any non PR related materials that have come out about how coffee farmers handling coffee rust or a drought. Um, and so, not only to gather that information, but also to preserve it for the long term using best archival standards um, to ensure that the digital media endures throughout time. Um, that's kind of our mission. I, I feel like coffee farmers want to speak out 
and they have spoken out, but there hasn't been a, really a time in the U.S. economy that has allowed that. And now I think Coffee Rust has hit enough of the news that now is a major jumping point to start getting into that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about that, but we're going to move to just a short station break. And when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. You're listening to The Farm Report. We're in studio with Caleb Sisko of the Farming Rust Foundation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. listening to Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we are back. We are in the studio with Caleb Sisko of the Farming Rust Foundation. So, Caleb, um, we heard a little bit um, from the folks over at Drift Away at the top of the show about the historical context of Roya, but maybe you can give us kind of what's the latest update. Um, what are we maybe, what's, what's happening that maybe is not quite making it into the news or for stuff that is in the news, like where, where, we sh- where, uh, where should we be looking? Um, well, so let's start. I guess back when <clears throat> the use of pesticides and that misnomer that that is kind of the only cure at this moment. The only cure for Roya. For the Roya, correct. Um, so the issue with using pesticides is a lot of farmers who practice organic farming cannot use pesticides. Um, and I think that is something that's always overlooked uh, in the news um, as a, you know, this is a commercial way of. Uh, preventing Lavoya. Um, Wait, can we? Do, I want to just take a time out here because I want to want to make sure I'm understanding correctly. So, one, my understanding had been that once a uh, a, a tree has been infected with Roya, that the only thing you can do is get rid of the tree. Not always the case. Okay. Yes, um, pesticides, uh, generally copper-based pesticides, are used as a preventative measure prior to Leroya being infecting the bush. Got it. Um, but you can only use pesticides if you are a non-organic farmer. Okay. Um, once Leroya has infected the bush, um, most of the time they try to um, 
separate it from all the other ones if that's possible or section it off um and most of the time after that there is nothing much that they can do um however news a new study just came out uh about a week ago um of a group of scientists who have been working for about 10 years through the u.s national science foundation um who have been studying the ecosystem of coffee and coffee plantations and coffee farms and have really kind of hit a really important note that shade-grown coffee is lacking in existence right now. Um, A lot of coffee farmers who want to produce more have been cutting down shade trees and then planting more coffee, thinking that they'll get more out of it. Um, one of the points that they make is that coffee plants naturally grow in the shade. That is their natural habitat. Um, they grow better there. The ecosystem re- requires it as well. There's a there's basically four things that will help stop coffee rust that they have found. Um, it's the Azteca ant, the green coffee scale, and the white halo fungus. It sounds like, um, I don't know, some kind of like video game names or something. Right? So break, um, break those down for us. All right. So the Azteca ant. So these, these are the three things that help prevent coffee rust that they have found thus far. Um, the Azteca ant feeds on the green coffee scale and it needs it to survive. The green coffee scale is then eaten by the white halo fungus. And the white halo fungus then fights off coffee rust. It's basically a cycle of... microorganisms or organisms that help prevent the coffee rust. So that's what they've found so far. It's still a study that's in the process. Um, It's nothing scientifically proven yet, but they have found that shade is a major factor in the spread of coffee rust um, with the lack of shade, and especially with the droughts that are occurring, the shade needs to be there in order to increase that moisture level during extreme droughts. Um, one of the things that the news at the top of the hour hit was um, low altitude, um, and that's where coffee rust was affecting earlier. Granted, the cl- major climate changes have occurred, and now higher altitudes are being affected. Um, but with that, uh, Columbia came out with a variety that they've been working on for about 13 years. The country of Colombia. Country of Colombia, cool. yes, yes. Um, the Castillo, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, was a variety they've been working on for about 13 years. It's a uh, coffee rust-resistant Arabica bean, um, and it has had great success last year. Uh, over the Between June and June of 2013 to 2014, they got a 30% increase in production, which is... Huge in a country that was, you know, 40% deprived of their production because of coffee rust. Um, and so they've been begun sending it to Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras to kind of trial run it to see if it will survive in those climates because a coffee, be- coffee variety that grows in one country doesn't necessarily grow in another country. Um, so that's a really important point that there have been really great. Um, steps going towards preventing and discoveries about coffee rust that haven't been found before. Yeah, so I think, I mean, not surprising in this conversation, like I feel 
um, you know, any any kind of conversation around agriculture is you have to kind of look at the whole system of yeah. a space. Um, and there's kind of like the short and the long term effect. So when you talk about producers moving away from shade grown coffee, because, you know, if I have land that I have a bunch of trees planted on this land that I can't grow coffee on, but there is like a um, symbiotic relationship that's happening between Absolutely. the the coffee plants, the trees, and then this kind of um, progression of things that exist to prevent the, the rest from happening in the beginning. So, yeah. it, you know, would I be correct in kind of like understanding that like there, there is, a, I don't know, a, a kind of a historical look back onto, you know, before there was so much pressure maybe to produce in volume, we were working a little bit more in line with the natural habitat that the like that may also be part of like what's causing this increase in rust is change in farming practices. Absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, if you think back to, you know, the very first major outbreak of coffee rust back in 1860s. Um, the major reason why it spread so quickly is because they slash and burn the whole, and they made a, the whole forest and they made a plantation. So they grew the coffee in the middle of the sun and it's not where it's meant to be grown. And thus rust was able to come in and spread so rapidly. And within 10 years it was destroyed. Um, I feel, yes, our cough, our growing practices, a lot of organizations who work on, on farms are teaching these farmers better practices because of our science knowledge that we have um, about how the symbiotic relationship between these organisms work, uh, how coffee needs a certain amount of moisture and a certain amount of shade uh, is very important. Which, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, for your project, you know, obviously the, f the farmers, the people growing the coffee, they have a ton of place-based knowledge and experience. And, and my understanding of the coffee industry is that it's often a, a multi-generational Absolutely. You know, business. So um, I, I do want to like kind of pull out the, the market forces that are creating um, the reality in which producers are, are making these decisions to increase production um, at, in a way that seems to be kind of going against the historical knowledge of like what is maybe best for their land. And so from like an economic standpoint, it, it does seem like they're there maybe needs to be a little bit of a shift in, in what we expect to, to pay for coffee. Yeah, the so there's a couple parts to that, you know, the price of coffee. So, you know, there's two markets that, you know, the consumer pays. Um, a roaster or an importer buys off the global, the global market, um, which is Robusta coffee, it's Arabica coffee, it's not necessarily direct trade coffee um, so there's direct trade where you have a relationship with the farmer and then there's that global market price um, which bases how much you're going to pay for your coffee from the, the region that you're generally buying from uh, that price hasn't totally skyrocketed primarily because of these new uh, markets in Vietnam and China that have kept the price down because they're be able to produce so much coffee new, new growing regions new growing regions um, and so the global market for those coffees, for coffee companies that like Folgers, uh, that buy in mass, um, 
that market hasn't necessarily skyrocketed as we would have expected from Coffee Rust. But the direct coffee, direct trade coffee that you get from you know your your smaller producer coffee company um, like Counterculture or Blue Bottle, so those those coffees may go up because they have a direct relationship with their with their farmers. But if Coffee Rust is affecting their farmers, they aren't going to get as much, and they're going to have to charge a little bit more. And that's gen- generally how it goes. So, in a weird way, we we can expect the um, more more direct relationships to coffee that already is um, you know priced at a premium because it's a premium product to continue an upward trend and the kind of baseline you know Folgers Diner Cup to remain somewhat steady at least for now in essence yeah and does the Raya impact the Robusta and the Arabica or is it only the Arabica so that's a very good good point so Arabica is the only variety that's affected by La Raya uh, they have been studying Robusta coffee to find out why it is resistant to La Raya um, and they've actually you know they've started to uh, sequence the genome, this little chemistry science stuff, um, of the Robusta plant to find the gene in the DNA that is resistant to coffee rusts. And then to trying to, they're trying to compare it to the Arabica and see if they can crossbreed them to create new resistant strains. That's a very um, controversial subject and for people who are mad coffee lovers who don't like genetic modifications, uh, which a lot of organic farms and organic lovers don't like. Um, but it could mean the saving of coffee. Because uh, if coffee rust gets too far gone, <clears throat> then you know we may lose our crops. It's kind of going the way of the dodo. And that's something that scares a lot of people, especially roasters. So, you know, obviously through the, the planned work of the Farming Rust Foundation, you know, you're hoping to, to create this platform for the voices of coffee farmers to um, give really a frontline purview as to what's happening on the ground. Um, can you maybe point us in the direction of other organizations that are working on this issue that we should be kind of following or supporting or thinking about? who, you know, are doing, you know, you're obviously covering, like, the uh, archival and the storytelling component, but um, are there, you know, scientific trade, roaster, those types of places that you feel like are doing solid work in the in this area? Absolutely. Um, well, one, definitely Union Microfinanza. They are a fabulous organization, um, and they just had their September drive, uh, but you can still find them at unionmicrofinanza.com. Or .org. Um, World Coffee Research, uh, which is a organization um, that looks towards researching in coffee and has a lot of updated news, um, especially Coffee Association of America, um, as well as, um, let's see... Those, I mean, those are your main... The main the areas. Main ones, yeah. Cool. And then... Of course, obviously, um, if folks want to support, you know, the work that you guys are doing, they can find you at farmingrustfoundation.org, and there is a donate tab at the bottom as you guys fundraise to 
be setting off on your first trip, which you're hoping will be... Well, we're hoping it's going to be next next year in September. In September. Yep. So about a year from now. Yeah. Cool. Yep, we're awesome. still, still raising money for that. <laughs> well, Caleb, thank you so much for taking some time out to uh, kind of fill us in a little bit on the uh, Roya situation and, and what we can expect from the Farming Rust Foundation in the future. It's been great having you on. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Farm Report. This show, like all 39 of our weekly programs, is available for free. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, but I hope you'll visit the website and check out some of our news content and, and some of those other great shows. You can find us at www.heritageradionetwork.org. We are a member-supported organization, so if you believe in our work, I hope you'll become a member by clicking that Donate tab today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.